In this podcast, I will be having conversations about where our experience of life comes from. My goal is to support GPs in the overwhelming job that they do. The good news is that you can hang up your superhero cape and let go of needing to be everything to everyone. So today I'm talking to Alistair Albee, whose clinical leadership program supported GPs and lots of other clinicians across Shropshire and Telford and Rekin for, I think, around 10 years, at least 10 years. And uh, he's now developed that even further in order to support GPs who are new to practice through the fellowship scheme. So Al, um, you know a lot of GPs now, especially in our geographical area and also across Staffordshire. And um, I, I was wondering what sort of thing you were observing from the work that you're doing at the moment with young GPs. Yeah. Um, well, f- firstly, thanks so much for having me on, Joe. And it, it's it's such a fabulous opportunity to have worked with so many GPs. Uh, typically those who are well into their careers uh, and then more recently those who are fresh and new and uh, yeah they're they're starting their journey Uh, uh, for many of them it's their their first practice that they're working in since having qualified I think there's a whole host of different trends that I observe working uh, first of all within uh, healthcare generally uh, and I guess one of the key things is that the vast majority of people working within the healthcare sector uh, are drawn to it because they care, yeah. which is a fabulous attribute. Um, and if anything, it's probably the area that, that as our careers, as your careers develop, it's something that we have to pay a little bit of attention to because there are times that people end up caring perhaps too much, if that's at all possible. So it becomes a bit like a vice and virtue. And for all that, I would never want to have a, a GP who didn't care. Absolutely not. Uh, but within the constraints of the system, some of the frustrations that that can create and making it difficult for people to offer the level uh, of care, service, et cetera, for their patients. I think that that's an area just to be very aware of, conscious of. And, you know, in the vast majority of sectors of work, uh, there's this expression, pick your battles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and probably within the healthcare sector, It's fantastic when a GP is passionate about something and wants to progress it. And I guess the key thing is pick the battles that you can make some progress with and those that, well, it's a bit of a sticky wicket to start off with. Uh, You know, you you are to a degree uh, a bit of a political football (laughs) <laughs> within the NHS. And, and that is such a challenge compared to many other sectors um, out with uh, the NHS. Yeah, you're right. And, and in recent times, we, we seem to have gone from being the nation's favourite group of people to a, a kicking boy. And 
mm. uh, actually that has been um, encouraged by politicians and the media. So, yeah, it, it's yeah. really shocking to see. I sometimes reflect to to some of the clinicians I'm with. You know, if the media did what they're currently doing to doctors to the armed forces, for example, I, I think there would yeah. be a significant uproar. Uh, and yet, particularly at this time, coming out of two years of pandemic and all that's been demanded uh, to, yeah, um, it stinks. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it, it's been very hard for my colleagues still in practice, I think, to to have worked so very hard trying to trying to support patients in the best way that they could during the pandemic without themselves becoming a vector for the infection. So mm. people have complained about not being able to get into the surgery without recognising that not only does that increase the risk of infecting staff and then the whole practice falls over because there's no one left. Yeah. Uh, but also it increases their own risk as patients of, of actually getting the infection from the staff. Yeah, and and totally. that's been completely ignored. Yeah. No, it, it, it comes, well, it, it strikes me as incredibly ignorant, really, uh, of the context, uh, the demands that have been placed are on healthcare professionals, well, just generally anyway, but particularly in these last two years. Yeah. And, and some of my colleagues have actually been really ill with mm. COVID for months. Mm. And, you know, and we, we know of lots of healthcare professionals who've actually died, you know, during, especially during the first year of COVID. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I felt so guilty. I, I, I I dodged COVID for two years and then I finally got it um, just a, a couple of months ago, actually. And uh, it hit me quite hard. And I had to go for a test, of course. Yeah. And I, I just felt really guilty going in and being in the presence of a nurse, knowing yeah. that, I, yeah, I've got it, definitely. And, and you are putting yourself at risk to a degree, having to test me. And uh, I wasn't totally comfortable with it. You know, mm -hmm. to, I'd done a, a test at home. And for me, that was kind of good enough. But there's um, a kind of rationale here that, no, no, you need to go and have a, a, proper, a proper test, not just a home test, uh, to be doubly sure. And that's the protocol here. But, yeah, didn't feel right, really. Yeah. I yeah, think there, there has been that side of things. So, so, so for me, there's this thing about caring uh, that, that is such an attribute and also a challenge. And I think it plays out in so many different ways. It plays out sometimes um, between colleagues where there are some challenges within practices that develop over years or between practices or between primary care, secondary care and key relationships. Uh, and I think one of the areas that is particularly, well, perhaps unusual about healthcare, particularly primary care, is that you are set up to see, see patients as much as you possibly can. And what that means is that for a lot of GPs, they'll come in early, 
and uh, they'll go to their surgery room, their, their, their room within the practice. They'll crack on with work and they'll see patients and they'll deal with their paperwork and they'll answer telephone calls and maybe they'll do some home visits if, if they're doing that side of things. And, and they spend very little time with the rest of the team. There's not a huge amount of opportunity to have a sort of collective team get together. And I'd say if there's something that sets healthcare somewhat apart from many other sectors that we work within, it's that in other sectors, I'd say there's more focus on developing the team, keeping the team happy, ensuring that everyone's clear on, on what's going on. And particularly when you look at so many practices that maybe have um, a number of partners and then a number of salary doctors and then perhaps some locums coming in and, and then of course they've got all the other associated um, healthcare professionals the uh, admin staff practice manager and so on the, there are not that many opportunities to have everyone together and very often with certainly within some of the practices I work with, the people that do come together tend to be more the partners and the practice manager and the salarieds are just expected to do their work and, and go off. And yet they're a part of the system. And so if there's a danger, sometimes it's that it ends up being a bit of a two-tier hierarchy within the practice that then affects relationships. And then it comes back to that, uh, that care thing that starts nagging. Um, it, it becomes a bit of a, uh, yeah, a stumbling block if we're not careful, I think. Yeah. I, and I mean, I speak to a lot of GPs um, until recently I've been part of the mentoring service and I coach GPs and I do appraisals and mm. I hear a lot about uh, that what you're describing in terms of the, the hierarchy and my observation has been that the most effective practices are the ones that do involve their salary GPs and their other clinicians in some kind of regular meeting practice meeting and they might have a meeting of partners and practice managers you know separately but a lot of the business includes everyone and then everyone has some kind of ownership in what happens and some kind of say in how things develop and get the opportunity yeah. to contribute their ideas yeah, totally. In worst case scenario, you get salarieds who come in on Monday morning and they find that actually the previous week, the partners have just completely redecided how the salaried's work is going to be <laughs> enacted and completely new protocols. And, and they arrive Monday morning. Oh, oh gosh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something completely different. And they have, the most important thing is they have no idea why. Yeah. It hasn't been communicated to them. They're not clear. They'll go along with it, but uh, always at the back of the mind, it's like, well, you know, didn't anyone think to discuss this with me? Uh, and that, I think, is a serious risk and and one that needs uh, needs paying attention to as much as, as is possible within the system. Yeah. And, and the locums are right at the bottom of the pile. Yeah as well yeah. you know 
Um, and I know they've been excluded from the GP fellowship scheme. Mm. And if if I was feeling kind of a bit paranoid about that, I would think that that was part of a general attempt by NHS England to discourage young GPs from becoming locums, despite the fact that it's actually a great way to try out lots of practices in the area where you want to work. Absolutely. And, you know, ch check out what the culture is like. Yeah. Whether it's somewhere you would like to be employed or become a partner. I agree. I, I think the general trend is for more and more people starting out in general practice to want to locum for that very reason. And um, it's a very good reason as well. I, yes. I Sadly, um, I wouldn't say within your area, but generally speaking, uh, I do come across and, and work with a number of new GPs who are stuck in a practice that they hate. Mm. And uh, when they finish their contract, they will not take on another salaried post. They will go and locum yeah. so that they don't end up in the same situation again. That's totally understandable, huh? Yeah. Uh, that's certainly been my experience with GPs I've mentored. Men mm. have been in that position and that's why they've sought mentoring. Yeah. So the, the locum side of things is really interesting, particularly if, let's say, you're a partner uh, that's heavily involved in, in designing how your practice operates. Uh, you have specific requirements, uh, you have a certain way of working that, that you want everyone to bring to life. One of the challenges, of course, is when you get a locum coming in, they won't know all that stuff. And what we've seen work really well in other sectors, because there are other sectors that do experience this sort of thing. So, for example, in supermarkets, you know, if, you, if you've got a supermarket that sells, or a hypermarket that sells mobile phones uh -huh. and electronic goods, very often they'll have a member of staff at the counter available to advise customers. But that member of staff is not usually a member of staff of that supermarket. It's a member of staff of the brand they're representing and they rotate from supermarket to supermarket. So they might be at uh, Tesco's one week and uh, Sainsbury's another week. And, and if there's a difference in the way that they need to be working, within that company culture, then it needs to be communi communicated really quickly because they'll perhaps only be there for seven, eight, eight hours, and then they'll be gone and we won't see them again. Yeah. And they'll be off somewhere else. And so in those contexts, what's worked really well has been defining key attributes of how we want you to work while you're here, certain things that you absolutely must do, and, and put to the forefront of your mind whilst you're interacting, in this case with customers, uh, in order to bring the company culture to life. And I'd say there's great opportunity for partners to be thinking about that for the locums that are going to be working with, it, with their practice, so that even if the partner's not available when the locum arrives, there's some kind of shortcut way of highlighting, you're here, Fantastic. Here are the things that are really important to us about how you work while you're here with us. So certainly over more recent years, uh, the best practices, I would say, have developed really good locum packs.
weeks, mm. but given to a locum as they arrive and it's got a password for them to get into the clinical system. And, yeah, it's always a good start. And to get into this, the Docman system where the documents come in and yeah, yeah link them with, with um, the results of investigations and all those very practical things, how to get blood tests done, how to refer to whatever. I haven't seen any. Uh, it, that doesn't mean they don't exist. Mm. That actually have a kind of statement of culture, mm. an expectation that you've just described. And that, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. This is how we do things here. Absolutely. Really great if you could kind of fit in with this culture while you're here. Yeah. And you see, what's been really interesting in working with the fellows is very often it's them in the early stages of their career where they start asking questions about, well, why, why is this happening within my practice? And I don't get it. I'm not comfortable with it. It doesn't feel right. I, it brings up some, some concerns. So a, a very common example is when you're a duty doctor. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, of course, people have been doing lots of consultations over the phone and and they've been interrupted mid-consultation uh, quite, quite well, on an ongoing basis throughout the day, basically, uh, because people don't necessarily always appreciate you are with a patient. Mm. Yeah, you're on the phone, but who knows who you're on the phone to? Um and that has driven a concern among, uh, well, particularly among fellows, that they're going to make a mistake because their focus is shifted. Uh, they don't have the patient in front of them. It, it's a different context. But they've also, being the most junior member of staff, often felt that it really wasn't okay to raise this as a concern because, you know, for many, they're also dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome and am I good enough and <laughs> all yeah. of that, which is totally understandable. But in the instances where, you know, we've had a really good group coaching session on how to tackle this and how to bring it up in a safe way that, that means it's tackled, but you're not kind of putting your neck on the chopping block. Yes. <laughs> um, where they have gone ahead and done that, before you know it, all the other GPs are going, oh, me too, me too, me too, me too. And it's not until that point that the practices have recognised, okay, we've actually developed a, a way of working here unconsciously that actually has a degree of lack of safety to it, or it certainly adds to the stress level of GPs who are already already doing a very potentially stressful job. So, you know, it, it's been great to see newcomers to the system raise their hands and go, actually, no, this doesn't feel right. Let's do something about it. Yeah, it's really brilliant that actually you're helping them to access that resource within themselves because um, the hierarchical nature of, of general practice that you referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, the new young GPs, if you're not careful, uh, it's easy to think, oh, they don't know anything. Whereas actually they're coming in fresh and enthusiastic yeah. and seeing things with fresh eyes, aren't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and they are 
so switched on, so yes. bright, uh, so yes. wanting to do a good job, and do the very best they possibly can for their patients. Uh, I've been bowled over with the the sort of collective intelligence of the group, and uh, yeah, if the NHS were left in their hands right now i'd say they've been very very good hands <laughs> and if they challenged a whole host of stuff that that nhse weren't comfortable with well they probably have very good reason to be challenging it you know <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> i would say so um yeah. I, suppose... and I think that that then takes us on to an area around um what causes us unease within our roles and mm. and stress ultimately and for all that i have this degree of stress which is really good for boosting performance isn't there and if you had no stress whatsoever everything would be kind of <laughs> yeah <well. laughs> um, but for some people i think uh, so if you take fellows for example a lot of them struggle with this imposter syndrome feeling mm. and and it's an internal stress that's created and and that being that it is a stress it it's something that potentially detracts from performance and so you know one of the areas we've looked at fairly in depth really is the fact that this is coming from your thinking yeah it's not reality at all it's something that you are creating for yourself as a function of your human experience. And therefore, when you realize that it's something that's, that's actively going on via the thoughts going through your mind, and, and you get to the point where you're able to recognize it as such, it becomes much easier to kind of detach from it i say okay well that's going on yeah fine uh and there's positive intent behind it because we want to do the very best we possibly can and so on uh, at the same time we've got to be careful that it doesn't become debilitating something that detracts something that over the course of time builds up to um, an additional sort of background stress that makes it harder for us to maintain performance in the long term. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I've worked with many young GPs over the years who are incredibly bright, as you have observed, and, and are very driven and perfectionist. And a lot of the stress in their lives is coming from the fact that they can't do things as perfectly as they would like mm -hmm. to, mostly because of the system. But also as a result of that, they then try to overcompensate by being even more diligent and checking things over and over again. Yes. Almost becoming obsessive about it. And then you really get into um, a negative downward spiral. And actually that, discovering and remembering that it's thought that's causing those feelings is incredibly freeing in my experience mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And there's also some really practical things that can help. So I've been surprised at how many young GPs, in, in fact, even <laughs> how many very experienced GPs are not familiar with things like keyboard shortcuts in <laughs> order to quickly add blocks of text that are fairly standardized, for example. Uh, and so if people haven't seen that sort of thing, well, you know, get in touch because there's some fabulous resources out there. There's even the most wonderful GP who has created uh, like the uh, A to Z of all of the shortcuts that you can do within the sort of um, different platforms that you have to use for document management and so on. Uh that can save you a huge amount of time, but also save you a huge amount of stress because you aren't going to make a mistake. As long as you've got that block of text correct yeah. in the first instance, then uh, it, it helps. Well, every time every time you type the shortcut, it's going to go incorrectly. There wow. are also uh, systems that she's created that that help you where you've got a particular parameter that you might need to add then you've got the, the standard framework and then it you just kind of tab from one parameter to the next to fill in the relevant data. And you know, all those sorts of things that help semi-automate how you have to do repetitive tasks, free up your conscious awareness yeah. to be focused far more on the nurturing care side of what we do all at the same time ensuring that you're not making mistakes you know you're guided through a process wow that's some um, really really fascinating stuff out there that can help I, well if you're happy for me to share the details i can add that into the text around um around this podcast that yeah please do joe i i don't have her name to mind but i'll i'll forward you the link uh, I contacted her to see if it was okay to share it globally. And she said, yes, absolutely no problem at all. That is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. and, and I think as well, so some of us at the other end of our career, <laughs> um, <laughs> who perhaps, you know, think that we're techie, but we know really that we're not. And the young people coming up behind us know so much more in that mm -hmm. area but maybe don't know the stuff that you're talking about now. Right, yeah. You assume that they do because they're young and they've grown up using computers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's uh, something that we've included in the, the online materials now. So oh, all of the fellows going through will have access to that. Uh, but at the same time, yes, it should be made broadly available. <laughs> <laughs> we should raise people's awareness of these sorts of solutions. It, it really surprises me the number of people that don't use keyboard shortcuts for just, just generally in work for the sorts of things that they do, like signing off an email, for example, like, um, well, I, I have a particular person's name that's very difficult to spell and has numerous different accents on it. And, you know, finding the correct accents so that their name is spelled correctly is quite tricky, a bit time consuming, but just creating a shortcut where I, I just type, well, GGR and, and it comes up correct every single time. <laughs> it's a big time saver. Uh, and for those that stress about that sort of thing, it's a big stress saver too. Yeah, 
that is absolutely brilliant because yeah it's it's all very well recognizing that it's thought in the moment and letting that go but actually being able to apply some practical strategies as well is even better i would say it is isn't it yeah but i think the whole thing about thought in the moment is it links back to what I was saying earlier around the opportunity for practices to come together as a whole team uh, a wee bit more regularly. It enables us to just have a think about, okay, when this happened last week and I made this meaning of it, now that we're all together, I can check it out. I've got the opportunity to see how others feel about it. And uh, it helps put things into a, a broader context that typically is extremely helpful. That yeah. said, I know everyone's busting a gut to offer enough slots as it is. So I'm not saying that that's a, a simple thing to do by any means. Uh, but, you know, in the case of partners coming together, and deciding that there's going to be a, a slight change in how the practice operates from next week because of something that's come up, whatever, you know, th there'll be a good reason for it. There are so many really practical, simple tools available to us now to communicate that sort of thing to a large audience, you know, yes. to five people, to 500 people, it doesn't matter. You could just pick up your mobile phone and record something uh, as a, a quick video message. Hi, guys, I'm really sorry. I haven't had the opportunity to speak to you about this, but you need to know it for Monday morning. So here's what we discussed last week. And, and this is why we've made the following decision. And I'm counting on your support to make sure that the practice uh, works effectively and safely in the coming week uh, with this new way of working. Thanks ever so much. Any questions, get in contact. How long did that take? seconds yeah yeah and and then you know whatsapp groups or whatever yeah. mechanism you want for communicating there are so many solutions available to us to communicate these sorts of things very simply very effectively uh i don't think there are any excuses really no you're absolutely right and and even with the issue of time I mean, I'm aware of one of our local practices, and I can't remember where I heard this from, but I'm sure you'll be aware because I think they have um, at least one fellow on the scheme um, who have now instituted a, a daily huddle before everyone gets started. Mm. Now, that might, I don't know how long it takes. I'm guessing 10, 15 minutes. But how much time does it save for individuals during the day if they know what the constraints are for the day, at the beginning of the day? Who's in, who's out, who's off sick, what other thing is happening, you know, what meetings there are. I mean, I don't know what they share. It's all in mm. my, it's a story I'm telling myself about that. But um, I'm guessing that it's a real time saver. And we forget that it's not just money um, that can be used to invest to save. It's actually time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there is a reason that the vast majority of businesses outside of healthcare do have <laughs> morning huddles. <laughs> and yeah, five to 10 minutes usually is enough. Yeah. It's a really good way to start the day, I think. Mm -hmm. And let's hope it that habit spreads across more practices. Yeah, and and that where 
for example, they've got different people working different sessions, different days, different slots and so on, and they're not necessarily all starting at the same time, but they find a mechanism to give a quick heads up to those who are starting, let's say mid-morning or mid-afternoon or whenever it is they come in with any particular constraints, specific things they need to be aware of, um, but they do that in a consistent manner. They find a mechanism for communicating that yeah. equivalent to having a morning huddle, uh, but where people are not going to be there for the huddle, but there's a, a stopgap. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, certainly the way that everyone's working now mm-hmm. is really important. Yeah, you know, this has been a lovely conversation, actually. Oh, <laughs> it's so good to connect with you, which yeah. we don't do often enough, but have to be reminded of some of the stuff that's going on with our new young GPs who I'm really glad that they're so amazing. It, it's great. It's good to know that when we're ill in the future, there'll be a whole cohort of amazing GPs to take care of us. Absolutely. Well, of course, the the thing that this the whole system has to do now is to ensure that they stay within the system. I totally agree with you. And um, and that's a risk, huge risk, yeah. I think, for us that that they will become burnt out and disillusioned and leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's hoping that a whole host of innovative, uh, pragmatic, <laughs> effective ways of, of working emerge over the years to come. You know, it's so interesting looking at different healthcare systems. As you know, I'm based now in Switzerland, um, yeah. but uh, I sing the praises of the NHS um, big time, despite being a part of a private system over here and there are a lot of shortcomings in private system Uh, quite (laughs) naturally cost is phenomenal and uh, the fragmentation of private systems is quite considerable as well so you know i think a lot of countries when they when they look at how healthcare is provided in the uk they kind of feel they're not too sure about how it works and how good it is and so on. Um, but anyone who asks the question, I have to tell them. <laughs> Personally, I'm missing out big time yeah. not being a part of it right now. Who knows in the future we may move back at some point, uh, depending on how, how work and requirements pan out. But uh, no, it's got so much going for it. And I think we should be singing the praises of our our clinicians. I am actually seriously considering setting up some kind of live stream on YouTube that looks at good news stories from general practice and, well, uh, healthcare in general, I think, uh, to counter some of this bashing that goes on by the media. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be quite interesting to pick some of their stories and, and then kind of pick them apart because you know some of the tricks that journalists plays with oh, yeah. language, yeah. Uh, the deletions, the distortions, the generalizations that go on in their language patterns in order to convey the message that, that suits them. Uh, mm. It's a real shame that that goes on. Uh, it's time for us to do something to counter it, yeah. I think. 
Well, I'd be very happy to support you in that, and I'm sure that a lot of our colleagues will be. Thank you Thank so you. much, Alistair. Brilliant talking to you as ever, Joe. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thank you.